You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Thank you for those of you who prayed last week during a week of fasting and prayer. We just wrapped that up recently. And uh, and our theme for 2024 is ready for His return. Ready for Jesus' return. And we talked about the different ways that we need to be ready. And so if you weren't here in that last Sunday of December... The vision for this year is to be ready for the Lord's return. My desire is that God would prepare us and get us ready because the early church lived in such a way that they believed that Jesus could come back at any given time and they wanted to be found doing what Jesus told them to do and living in a way that's pleasing to him. And that's the focus for this year. God wants us to get closer to him. Not just simply to go to church, but to be a true disciple of Jesus. And that's an important effort. It's a lifelong effort. It's an effort that you won't ever kind of hang up and stop doing. You'll never have arrived. Even if, I, if you're a pastor like me, you haven't arrived yet. You know, we arrive when we see Jesus face to face. That's how we know we've done a good job and we've made it. How do we know we've done a good job when he says, well done, good and faithful servant? That's how you know you've made it. Until then, we're still endeavoring to be like Jesus. So with ready for 2024, ready for his return, the first ready was ready to pray. We just spent the last week in fasting and prayer. Thank you to those who joined us. This week I want to focus on being ready to follow, ready to follow Jesus. It's one thing to be called a Christian. It's another thing to ask yourself the question, am I really following Jesus? Am I looking to please him every day and every time we come together? So we'll be going this through the scriptures a lot this morning, so take out your Bible or have your app ready. You're going to be busy this morning, okay? So try and follow along with me. But the idea is like, how do we follow Jesus? And the main way that we follow Jesus is we follow his word. We hear his call to us. We hear his, uh, his endeavor, his invite to follow after him. And so we must respond to that when Jesus calls. Take a look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Jesus is calling his first disciples. And if you read other passages of Scripture, you'll know that Jesus didn't just carelessly choose disciples, but that when he chose the 12, he carefully and prayerfully thought about who God would want him to choose. And he chose those men to be his disciples. But I mean, no, it's one thing to choose somebody. It's another thing to ask somebody. You ever think, you know what would be great? I'd really like to do this. And then you say, you know, I'll ask so-and-so for help. And how many know you can ask that person for help, but whether or not they actually decide to help you is entirely something different, right? Even when you think, oh, this is a no-brainer, of course they're going to help. If you have ever had a parent grow older, And you thought, okay, they need to be taken care of. And you thought to yourself, well, I'll ask the siblings. Surely they will help. And then you've been surprised to realize that the answer is no. So there are times where we think, oh, sure, they will definitely accept the invitation to help out. But they say no. Maybe you know somebody who does plumbing, electrical. Maybe they do carpentry. And you say, okay, I've got a project at my house. I'd really like their help. And surely if I ask them, they're my friend, they would be able to help. And then they say, no, I can't help, or no, I don't have the time. Or they charge you more than they would charge somebody else to come help you. That's surprising. 
So sometimes the invitation goes out, and sometimes the answer is not always what we expect. But Jesus calls his first disciples in Matthew 4. He says in verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, They immediately left their nets and followed him. I want you to underline the word immediately. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, verse 22, and what? Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus saw a few fishermen, Peter and his brother Andrew, and James and his brother John, and Jesus calls them to follow him. This is not a passive invitation, but of active invitation to join his mission. Notice Jesus didn't go up to him and the scripture didn't say, you know, he went up to them and said, hey, if you're not busy, if you don't have anything better to do, um, if, you know, if you want to, but you don't have to, come and follow me. Because how many know when you, you present it that way, it doesn't sound all that important, does it? But Jesus' invitation is very much an active invitation to join and invite him them to join his mission. And notice when it came to those he asked, there was no hesitation. They immediately left their nets. James and John left their father, their boat, their livelihood, and followed after Jesus. This was a sign that they were leaving their old life behind. These men understood the assignment. They understood what it meant to be a disciple of a teacher or rabbi. In that culture, it was common for a teacher or rabbi to bring unto himself students and disciples. And anyone who was asked by a rabbi or teacher understood what that meant. That meant that they left their life behind. They went where the rabbi went. They ate what the rabbi ate. They slept where the rabbi slept. They followed the teachings of the rabbi. They did what the rabbi did. So if they followed after him, they knew this was a commitment. In some cases, it was a a year-long or more commitment And it was a choice to follow him. It wasn't something that they kind of did, well, I'll do this and something else. They knew what Jesus was asking them to do. Jesus also went and asked other disciples to follow him. We know that not just these four, but we know there are others. In Mark 2, it says that Jesus saw Matthew, the tax collector, at his tax collecting booth. And he went up to him and said, follow me. And it says that also Matthew immediately left what he was doing left the money-changing table, left his occupation, and followed after Jesus. Now, am I saying to you today that you need to leave your job at the pride station and follow Jesus? No. But if the Lord says to do that, then you should, okay? I remember being called to ministry at a very young age and struggling with that because I'd heard all my life, you know, people who are in ministry don't have any money, and partially sometimes that is true, okay? But I was like, you know, I want a wife and kids someday, and I don't want to be, you know, living from day to day, wondering what everything's going to be taken care of. But the Lord kind of let it on my heart. He just made it so that I could not say no. <laughs> and if I tried to say no, he made me feel miserable about it. Like, and I don't, I can't imagine you would understand what that's like, okay? But when God calls you to do something and you try and do anything else, it's, he will constantly remind you of what you're supposed to be doing for him. And you'll never be happy doing anything else other than that. 
So there's an idea of doing immediately what he's asking you to do. And if he asks you to do that, great. But if he's not asking you to do that, he might ask you to be faithful in another way. Jesus invited other people to follow him too, but not everyone was as willing to say yes. Look at Luke chapter 9. Earlier in Luke chapter 9, he said, If anyone wants to follow him, he must be willing to take up his cross, deny himself, and follow him. Basically, he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to die to your old life and choose to follow me only. But even after this, you would figure after saying something like that, the crowd around him would go, yeah, that's not for me. That's a little too much. That's a little more than probably what I was expecting. But there were people that still came up to him after he spoke and said, Jesus, I'll I'll follow you wherever you go. And some who wanted to follow Jesus. And some Jesus actually asked and invited. Take a look at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. It says, now it happened as he journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Have you ever remember saying those words at one point in time? Maybe you were in a service. Maybe you were at the end of service. You were very moved by what was being said. And uh, you, you made that commitment to the Lord. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus understood what this man was asking. He kind of knew the man's heart. And he says, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, in other words, I have no place to lay my head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, something that seems harsh when you read it, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61, and another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now you might hear these words and you go like, wow, none of us can do this. Because that sounds pretty tough. But you have to understand that Jesus knew the heart of each person that was asking to follow him, and he was very upfront about what it meant to be committed to Christ, what it meant to be a disciple of Christ, what it meant to be his followers even at that time. And he never sugarcoated it. I think part of the problem with Christianity today and the reason why so many people quickly get saved and then abandon it is because we've kind of built it as self-help. We've built it as self-improvement. We build it as, you know, uh, you can get whatever you want, just ask God. In reality, Christ is saying, I want you to forsake everything and follow after me because I am the only way. Now, Jesus knows the hearts of the people are asking him. First guy who's asking him is just like, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever he goes. Jesus knows, knows that man's heart and he knows that that man is concerned about his comfort. And Jesus is saying to him, he's saying, listen, it's great that you want to follow me, but I just want to let you know, if you follow me, you're going to have to give up some of your own personal comfort to follow. And we don't hear what happened there, but I think it's safe to assume that he decided, not for me. Uh, the other man said, well, you know, let me bury my father first, and that would seem like a reasonable request, and Jesus is not saying you shouldn't bury your father, he's not saying you shouldn't mourn your father, but you also have to understand the mourning rituals of the Jewish people. It was common for a Jewish person to mourn the death of a family member anywhere from 7 to 30 days. So to mourn someone was not just uh, you go to the wake, you go to the funeral, and then you move on. To mourn someone was for a long period of time. And Jesus is saying, you can do that basically at any time. You know, you can mourn your father at any time. But come and follow me and you can still do that. 
you know, go and preach the kingdom of God. The last man says, you know, I'll follow you. And Jesus knew the man's heart. He says, you know, it's going to be tough for you because I'm going to be taking you away from your family and you're going to be walking with me and ministering with me. You know, are you willing to do that? And I don't think he was. He's like, if you're going to set your hand to the plow, you can't look back. Now, that sounds like a difficult saying, but have you ever tried to do anything walking straight while looking over your shoulder? Try it sometime. Make sure that there are people around you to catch you, okay, in case you do. But if you ever tried to walk or drive or do anything while looking backwards, you know that you're not going to be able to stay straight. You're not going to be able to be focused on the task. And that's true in your walk with Christ. If you want to follow Jesus and go the straight and narrow path, you can't keep looking over your shoulder, longing for the things of the past, or trying to live with the regret of the past. Does that make sense? You're never going to move forward in a straight line if you keep looking over your shoulder. Make no mistake, Jesus had a cost. Jesus always laid out what it would cost to follow him. He told them it might cost you your family. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you comfort. It might cost you your own plans. But in the end, the eternal reward that you would receive would be worth it. From the time that Jesus began his ministry until now, he's been calling disciples to follow him. And there are those who gladly follow him with faith, with joy, with fidelity and commitment. That's how it should work. When we follow Jesus, we should say, Jesus, you're worth my yes, and my commitment to you should be greater than just saying something on Sunday and then not following through later in the week. Or when someone says, hey, can you help me move? And you say, yeah, I'll help you move. And the day comes and you're like, I don't feel like helping that person move. And you call and you're figuring that person has a bunch of other people that will help move. So you're like, ah, I can't help you move. You know, we're in a society today where people like say yes and then they take their yes back. But Jesus is not looking for that. He's been calling disciples that will give Jesus their yes and will live with their yes no matter what. But unfortunately, there are Christians who make commitments to Jesus and then make excuses after. Jesus wants those to, people to follow him, count the cost first, and then make a decision, not make a quick decision and go back on that decision. I believe Jesus is looking for people that will wholeheartedly follow him without excuses. Listen, it's so easy to make excuses when you don't want to do something someday. When it's raining on a Sunday and there's church. You go, God understands, you know. He does, you don't really want me to drive in that rain, do you, Pastor? You know, you can say, oh, my gosh, it's pouring out there. I'm going to get my church clothes wet before I even get to the car. The Lord would not want that. Jesus would not want me to do that. He understands. I'm going to worship him today at Bedside Assembly of God. And he'll understand, you know, I'm going to rest in the Lord and Things will be good there. No, he wants us to go a little bit deeper than that. I think a lot of times the, um, our success or failure in following Jesus has everything to do with how you view him. Your success or failure in following Jesus will have everything to do with how you view him. If you see following Jesus as a way to get him to do your agenda, then that's not really following Jesus. Following Jesus is not about how it benefits you or what you can get Jesus to do for you. That's trying to get Jesus to do what you want. 
But following Jesus recognizes him as Lord and accepts his will and plan above your own. When you follow Jesus, you say, God, I want to serve you not when it's convenient for me, not always when I want to do it, but even times when I don't want to do it or don't feel like doing it because I acknowledge you as my Lord, not just my Savior who saved my soul and thanks be to God you saved me from my sin, but that you are someone I want to follow and walk with and live for. It's acknowledging that he's in charge instead of us. Where we look at Jesus as our Lord and our master, not as a subordinate or someone that's lower than us that answers to us, but we answer to him. If we look at Jesus the wrong way, we'll always be disappointed. Because God, you didn't do things the way I wanted to do. And the answer is because he has something that's better for you that's in alignment in accordance with his will and plan. Bob Goff once just once said, quote, our problem with following Jesus is that we're trying to become a better version of us instead of being a more accurate reflection of him. He's not asking us to be a better version of you. He's asking you to be a reflection of who he is. Because the world doesn't need more of us. Let's be honest. Some of you more than others. But what the, what the world does need is more of Jesus, right? And the only way he sees more of Jesus is if we become better reflections of who he is. Now, what does the word uh, Christian mean? The word Christian means a disciple or learner or follower of Jesus. Uh, the word disciple means follower or learner of Jesus. Now the question is, are we living up to that description? When Jesus calls disciples, he calls them away from their lives, their plans, their agenda, and calls them to give their life in service to him. Jesus was recruiting people to carry out the heavenly Father's will to bring the gospel of the kingdom of heaven to a lost and dying world. That's not just for the apostles. It's not just for pastors, uh, you know, evangelists and teachers. It wasn't for the original 12 that Jesus called. That's for all of us, that we are to further the kingdom of God wherever we are and to bring people to a saving knowledge of who Christ is. This gospel of the kingdom would save, deliver, and heal, rescuing people out of darkness into his glorious light. Now, Jesus never promised his followers a quick and easy life. He was upfront about it, that it was a commitment, that it might be hard, but ultimately God would use them to do great things. See, we want God to use us to do great things, but we don't want any of the hard. But if you look at the story of most great men and women of God, you'll see that somewhere along their life they had hardship and difficulty. And they made it through the crucible of hardship were tested by fire and proved themselves to be pure gold, and they were used by God to do great things. I would dare say there's no great things without testing. There's no great things without trial or difficulty. The car that you drive, that you came in here, believe it or not, before that car ever rolled off the assembly line, it was tested thousands and thousands of times. Why? So that your wheel wouldn't fall off when you drive it, right? So that it, your uh, 
heat wouldn't go on without you turning it on or turning it off. Someone's there with a switch going back and forth over and over again. Someone's driving that car over terrain over and over again. Or if you see those crash test labs or those labs where they're testing the shocks and all they do is shake the car the whole time. If you were that car, you're like, what is, what is going on here? But it's testing it so that it'll be excellent so that whoever uses it, it'll be used and it won't fail. You see the life that you're going through and the testing that you're facing, the shaking that you're going through, the things that seem to be repetitive over and over again. You're saying, God, what is going on here? You're saying, I'm testing you for excellence so that when the time comes for me to use you, you will not fail. Amen? I believe some of the frustrations Christians have with following Jesus is some got into it with the wrong understanding of what Christ calls us to do. It's not about our agenda, it's about his. It's not about our will to be done, but his will to be done. And there's gonna be times where our will doesn't always line up with his. A true follower of Jesus submits to his will and his plan dying to self. So what does following Jesus look like? It starts with loving him and listening to him. How many know loving somebody and listening to somebody are two different things? And all the spouses in the house said, amen, right? You can love somebody and totally not listen to them. But your walk with Jesus has to start with loving him, okay? Like being in love with Jesus is the, the, the basic core of your following him, you know? And so if, and I believe in many ways a person's prayer life can be broken on this particular issue. Why? Because when disappointment comes in and you, you didn't get what you were praying for or the things that you're hoping for didn't come through, sometimes we blame God and we find it difficult to love him again, which is the root and basis for every bit of your walk with him. So if you have regret, if you have disappointment, if you have things that didn't come through, you, there's times where it will wreck your prayer life. How do I know? Because it happened to me, okay? I've been there. I've been there like that didn't work out the way you said it would and now we're here and it took me a few years to work through that and there's some times where that comes back on me but I had to get back to loving Jesus once you love Jesus everything else becomes easy when you love somebody and they ask you to do something it's not hard yeah you know I clean up the kitchen every morning because I'm up early enough not because I'm like, I got nothing better to do, but because I love my wife and I know I'll make her happy. And plus it's messy. So I don't want it to be messy, so I want to clean. So I do it not because like, oh, she told me to do it. I did it because I know that it would make her happy to do it. That should be the motivation for us serving the Lord. If we know it pleases the Lord, then we do it because I love you and I want to serve you. Loving and listening. It starts with Listening. Starting this weekend on our Thursday Bible study, we're going to be looking at the commands of Jesus. You know, it's impossible to be a follower of Jesus if you don't know what he said. A follower of Jesus always reveres and tries to do what Jesus said and what we need to do. I'll challenge you with this thought. Deferred and delayed obedience is still disobedience. Uh, How do we know that to be true? If you ask your child to do something, and it's the third time you've asked them to do it, are you happy? 
Are you pleased? <laughs> Do you feel loved? Do you feel like you're, no, because at that point you're, you're like, you are being belligerent, rebellious, disobedient to me. You are not showing me respect, right? That's when you raised your kids and you tried to give, raise them the right thing, you wanted to make sure that they heard you and that they did what you said for them to do. Deferred and delayed obedience is still disobedience, even when you struggle with it. So when God asked us to do things, we're like, ah, I know, but it's just so hard. It was not, never meant to be easy in the first place. We're supposed to do it because it's what's best for us. So if we're not doing it, we're still, believe it or not, displeasing the Lord. Disobedience, last time I checked, was still sin regardless of what our reason is why we can't do it. And I don't say that because I'm trying to judge you. I'm saying it because I'm judging me as well. That there are times where I should be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm like, ah, that's hard. Or, oh, that's going to take time. Just do what he said and please him. John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So when he's saying, if you love me, keep my commandments, he's not saying it like, if you love me, do what I say because, you know, I want to just give you things to do and it makes me happy to see you do stuff. And when I clap my hands, I want you to jump and do this or do that. That's not what the Lord's saying. The Lord's saying, you know, if you love me, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to honor me, then do what I ask you to do when I ask you to do it. And the wonderful thing is this, is that he didn't just leave you alone to try and do it by yourself. Because how, how many know when it comes to the words of Scripture, if you had to do it in your own strength, in your own will, in your own sinful nature, you'd have a really tough time with that. But he said, I didn't give this to, these commands to you to do by yourself. I've sent the Holy Spirit to help you so that you won't try and do it yourself. But he will give you the motivation, the help, the desire, the will to carry those things out. We sometimes look at commands and go, oh, commands. We don't even like the word, commandments. Jesus, Jesus, did you really use commandments? I thought you came to fulfill the law. Like, what do you mean commandments? That sounds like less like you're my friend and more like you're in charge, which he is, by the way. And he's still your friend. And he still loves you, but, you know, he, he still wants things for you to do. Like, the worst kind of, you know, family dynamics are when you as a parent try to be a friend to your young child and try and suggest what they should do. Instead of, you still have to tell them what to do. And so he, he gives us commands. And, and, but John, 1 John 5, 3 says this. It says, and his commands are not burdensome. In other words, God's not heaping these things on you to make your life harder. He's not saying, hey, you know what would be really great? Um, everybody should not wear blue anymore. Because uh, that's the way I'm feeling today, and no one should wear blue anymore. And uh, you old people, you can't dye your hair anymore. Uh, I just want to do that too because I never intended it to be that way. So you can't dye. No, he doesn't do stuff like that. That's not what he's, you know, religion makes life burdensome. Uh, Self-righteousness makes life burdensome. But to follow Jesus is a joy. To do what he asks us to do should be a joy. These commandments of Jesus aren't meant to be difficult. They are truths on how to love God and how to treat your fellow man. The words of Scripture aren't to show what you can't do, but what you can do. Like guardrails on a road, they keep us safe and on the right track. 
They keep us from evil and self-destructive behavior. God's word is the owner's manual for your life. You know, parents will say like, you know, my, you know, when my baby was born, they didn't come with an owner's manual, and that's true. But God has given us an owner's manual for life, and it is his word. The scriptures say that, you know, everything that we need for life and godliness is in his word. So if you want to know how we should live, how to interact with your fellow man, how to care for and treat others, we must look at what his word says. His words are always an invitation. Come, follow, learn of me are all words that he uses. Look at Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I told you you'd be busy today, right? I told you you'd be jumping around quite a bit. You still with me? Or did you abandon me at the third verse that we were in? Okay, we're on verse number five now, okay? But look what he says. He says, uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Another way is gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden that Jesus is speaking of is the burden of religion. When the Pharisees uh, were dictating what religion should be like, what the observance of the law would be like, they would add requirement after requirement on them. Additional regulations, additional rituals and rites for the people to follow. So much so became like a heavy burden on them. And it became uh, something that would separate everyday people from highly religious and self-righteous people. Because the highly religious and self-righteous would say, well, look at all the ways I've kept the law. Look at all the ways, the things that I'm doing that show how righteous and how pious I am. Meanwhile, the everyday person found it very difficult to follow those things. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you something that's different than what the Pharisees are presenting to you. That's why so many were drawn to his message. They were drawn to his message because it was the heart of the Heavenly Father. It showed him what he was like, and it showed people in a practical way how to live every day to please God, which is what the Word should be about anyway. A person's righteousness would no longer be measured by how many regulations he followed, but how he lived for God. Can I tell you something? The yoke of legalism is bondage. It focuses on self-righteousness, the observation of rituals and rites, and not on people. Self-righteousness focuses on self and things. Self-righteousness says, hey, look at how I'm doing, and look how badly this guy's doing, or this lady's doing over here. I follow all these things. You know, I even follow the Old Testament regulations. I don't even wear garments made of two different fabrics together. What do you think of that? And people are like, yeah, okay, great. That's fantastic. Uh, so, like, self-righteousness makes one self look better by following things. But Christ's righteousness is all about following him and people. Notice the difference. So it's all about relationship with God. It's about relationship with people. Righteousness is measured with how, by how we treat our fellow man and how we please and serve God. Christ is not concerned with how much mint, cumin, or dill, or spices that you tithe on. He's concerned with how you treat one another and how you're reflecting him and showing the love of God to one another. That's how we walk with him and for him. He says, listen, the yoke of the Pharisees is heavy, but my yoke is light. Now, a yoke, if you've ever, uh, you know, seen 
oxen pulling a field. Maybe you've been down to Pennsylvania. Maybe you've seen the Amish uh, with horses or with oxen. You know that a yoke has two spaces in it. It has two holes. It's usually a wood or leather bracket that holds those two oxen in place, and there's two spaces. It's not just meant for one head to go through and to try and carry. In fact, if you try and put one oxen through a, 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 a yoke that has two heads to it, that oxen is going to veer to the side and not be straight. In fact, they might even go in circles because the weight of one is kind of pulling them this way. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, listen, there's two spaces for this. It's you and me doing this together. You can't do righteousness in yourself. You can't do following and serving me yourself. But if we do it together, then you'll find that the burden is light. It's not burdensome. It's not difficult. Following Jesus is not hard when you know that he's with you and helping you along the way. Some people might look at commandments and say, well, you know, that, that sounds like I'm a servant and he's the master and I don't like that relationship. But can I tell you that Jesus doesn't look at us as servants, people who he just tells what to do and expect them to do it. This is what he said to his disciples before he's crucified. John chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. He says, I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends. Can you just pause on that thought for a minute? Jesus is your friend, okay? Guess what? That means that he actually likes you too, even if you don't like yourself, all right, okay? Isn't that reassuring to know that Jesus likes you and wants to be your friend, okay? And so he says, I call you friends. Look at this. For all the things that I've heard my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. We're not servants, but followers and friends. Servants have no relationship with their master. They simply work and do their job. A servant's never invited to his master's table to sit down and dine with them, have conversation. The, the master is always saying to his servants, okay, I want you to clean this up or bring me my meal or take care of this next thing or uh, get my, put my children to bed. Whatever the case might be, the master is never engaging with a servant as though they're part of the family. But a friend is different. A friend can sit at the table. A friend is a confidant. A friend is someone who is close to the master, and the master feels comfortable disclosing his plans to them. In John chapters 13 through 15, Jesus sits and dines with his disciples at the Last Supper. We just celebrated communion this morning, which is a remembrance of that Last Supper. Do you know he takes three chapters to talk about him going and what it's going to be like and how to serve, but he also talks to them about what the Holy Spirit will do to help them in that. He tells them his plans. He tells them he's chosen them to bear fruit for God's kingdom. He tells, them, he tells them that he's chosen them for salvation and has made known to them the way to the Father. And it's his plan for them to bear lasting fruit. Can I tell you today, too, that Jesus calls us friends. He has disclosed his plan to us, and he wants to, us to partner with him. He wants our lives to bear good fruit, fruits of righteousness, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of godly character, and to bring people to Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. 
And so this morning, when Jesus is calling us to himself, he's asking you to partner with him. He's saying, will you be and come with me and follow me? I don't know about you, but don't you want to partner with Jesus and his plan for your life? Some of us are not planners. Am I right? You know, some of us are really good planners and others not so much. Can I tell you that no matter how good a planner you are, your plan for your life will never be as good, as thorough, and as blessed as if you have Jesus show you his plan for it. And your plan will factor into that. The place you're going to school, the things that you're doing right now, the interests you have, they're part of it because he created you. And he knows your giftings, he knows your talents and abilities, and he says, you know, that's part of it. That's what I created you for. Meanwhile, you're kind of living this track where you're kind of going, these are the things that I have in my life, and I'm doing these things, and uh, I, they have no eternal value. They have no, no part in God's plan. But in reality, they were always part of God's plan. You just need to be able to connect what he's given you with what he wants you to do. It's not always that you have to abandon that entirely to follow him. Sometimes it's using what he's given you to follow him and be a blessing. So how can you tell if you're not following him? I, I think that that's kind of easy, actually. We've all been there where we feel like we're not following him. Am I right? Times where you know I'm really close to God, and there's times where I'm not really close to God. How can you tell you if you're not following him? Well, first of all, you can't see him clearly. If he's too far ahead of you, you can't see him. You can't see him and you have trouble knowing where he is and what he wants you to do. If someone's too far ahead of you, you can't hear their voice either. You ever go hiking? I don't like hiking, by the way. <laughs> if you do, great. But if somebody's too far ahead, you can't hear their voice and they can't hear your voice anymore. Usually distance makes it harder to hear somebody. Where does distance take place in our life? with God is when we've given root and place to sin and disobedience. It's when that happens that we avoid our prayer time with him because we know we don't want to be confronted on the things that we're not doing right. So what happens? We spend less time with him. We don't spend as much time as we used to with him because those things, we don't want them to be brought up because sometimes we just don't want to change. When people sin, they hide from God. Remember Adam and Eve? When they knew they messed up, what was their inclination? Go hide. He's God. How are you gonna hide from God? But they said, this is a good idea, and somehow he won't find us. God still sees you, by the way, even in your hiding. So why don't you just get it out of the way and just be honest with him about where you're at and turn back over to him? This morning, do you feel far from God has your walk with him become distant? Have you turned away from following him? And you know, sometimes our turning away from God has nothing to do with us willfully trying to do the wrong thing. It's just we got distracted by other things. There are good things in your life that are part of this world that appeal to our fleshly nature, our sinful nature, that distract us. Sometimes it can be a job that takes us away from Sunday mornings or our prayer times with him. Sometimes it can be a relationship with someone that doesn't believe in Jesus, and all of a sudden we start questioning those long-held faithful, de faithful uh, 
beliefs that we've had because now we're calling into question everything. There are good things in your life that are, are, are good and make you feel good, but will take you away from him. And soon you'll just like, I don't see him anymore. Where did he go? And the truth is, he didn't go anywhere. It was you that wandered off. And sometimes we turn away from him. Are you walking in the opposite direction of where he's going? Today is the day to get back on track with him. Today is the day to turn with him. So what do you do in those situations? And, and like, it's so, such a wonderful thing, by the way. And, and people say, you know, it's like, oh, I feel far away from God. I, I thank the Lord that any time that I have felt far from God, all I can do is call out on his name, admit my faults and my flaws, and acknowledge my absolute need and dependence upon him. And I'm amazed at how that wind of the Spirit rushes back into my life. I'm just absolutely floored by the peace that passes understanding that has nothing to do with who I am and everything to do with who he is. And how even though you've been away from it for a while, the Lord can bring you back to a place where it's just like getting on a bicycle and riding again. At first it might be a little wobbly, but you figure it out again because you remember this is how it is. And you're like, well, I can't pray anymore. Yes, you can. All you need to do is turn back to him and stop and pull out of the way all the stuff that got in, the, in between you and him, your disappointments, your frustrations, your angers, your fears, whatever those things were, those sins that so easily trip you up, whatever got in the way between you and him in the first place, all you have to do is just simply say, I don't want those anymore. I don't need those anymore. God, all I need right now is you. And he hears that and he responds. And it's not like you have to try and run to catch up with him. Guess where he is when you call on him? It's right there, right next to you. And he'll pull you up, brush you off, and say, let's do this together, son. Let's do this together, daughter. I was never, you were never meant to just try and do it yourself. That's the yoke of legalism right there. But when you do it with the Lord, there's joy in it, there's refreshment in it, there's rest in it. And we come back to him, we find ourselves in a place where we are close with him once more. When we've taken that step to do that, we've, we know that we're made clean in his sight. When we take that step to do, we know that he's, he and we and him are in a right relationship once more. But how do we keep that going? That every day we're spending time with him. And if you forget it, you do it the next day, okay? You get into his word. You spend time. If you want to hear God's voice, read his word. If you want to talk to him, start praying. Do it at the beginning of the day. Do it at the end of the day, even if it's short. But spend time with the Lord and get to know him better and so that you'll be in step with what he's doing. And that when he speaks to you, it won't be something that'll be strange, but it's so commonplace and so regular that you know it's him. Because it won't be confusing to you. You won't have to say, is this the Lord? Is this not the Lord? You know his voice because you've talked to him enough. I promise you today that if you talk to him, he will talk back to you. And he will speak to your heart. But are you far from him this morning? Have you wandered off? Have you lost your way? Today is the day to come back to him. His Holy Spirit is there to bring you back and to help you follow him. So I wonder if we can just pray. Can we take a moment and do that?
without anyone looking around. Where are you at today? Do you feel close? Do you feel far? Do you feel like you used to be right there with him and now he feels like he's millions of miles away? Can I tell you that he didn't move, you did? And it's time to turn back to him and to look to him and to follow him once more. Jesus is still calling disciples today. He's still calling for people to come and follow me. And I will help you bear fruit. I will help you to be a fisher of men. I will help you do all those things. Sometimes we don't feel worthy or ready for the task that he's called us to, but that's okay. It keeps us dependent upon Jesus. So this morning, if you're, that's where you're at, can I pray for you right now, whether you're here in this building today or whether you're online, can I pray with you that God would help you to do just that, that this morning you would turn back to him and start following him again regularly on a daily basis, looking and following Jesus and trying to please him. Let's do that today. And so God, we just pray today for each of us here that, Lord, we are just so grateful that, Lord, you love us unconditionally and that, Lord, you have extended to us the way of salvation. You have shown us the way of the Father. That, Lord, you have not called us servants, but you have called us friends. We are friends of Jesus. But, Lord, you still have things that you want us to do. Help us to remember, Lord, to keep covenant with you and to not walk in disobedience, but to walk in obedience, not because you just enjoy giving us things to do, but because, Lord, you have a plan for us and your plan is always good. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness and you want to see us to walk in that. So, Lord, I just pray for each of us today. I pray for each person that feels distant from you. Would you draw them back to yourself? I pray at this moment, right now, that they would pray and seek your face and know that you are right there with them. I pray, Lord, moving forward, that they would walk with you each day and that they would hear your voice and know your leading and know that the Holy Spirit would guide them in what to say and do and that, Lord, that they would do those things that you've asked them to do, even if they're difficult. God, help us to be faithful to you in this new year. I pray that 2024 would be the year that we're ready to follow you and we would follow you in spirit and in truth no matter where you might lead us. And Lord, when we come to the end of this year, may we be able to say, wow, what an amazing thing God did through us. And we'll give all the glory and the honor back to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.